Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of the coming kingdom of heaven. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 The story of Abraham began while he was still called Avram. It began with a promise regarding his seed and his relationship to the whole world. It began in Genesis 12, when the Lord said to Avram, Go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Lord's promises to Abraham in this initial oracle culminate with the last line, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's an astounding promise because of its universal scope. Through a single man, all the families of the peoples on earth will be blessed. God does not say how he intends to accomplish this. He simply assures Abraham that somehow Abraham will be the agent through which all peoples on earth will be blessed. The universal scope of this prophecy makes it one of the most significant prophecies in the Torah. It's too easy for us to look at the prophecy from where we stand in history and miss the significance. From where we stand in history, we say, well, yeah, obviously, Abraham's name has been made great and all peoples on earth are blessed through him since he's the father of three monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Well, less than, less than 0.2% of the world population identify themselves within Judaism. That's a drop in the bucket. But 31% of the world identifies as Christian. And all those Christians consider Abraham to be the father of their faith. And 25% identifies as Muslim. And all those Muslims look to Abraham as the father of their faith. That puts Father Abraham at the top of the heap for fathers of world religions, way far ahead of the next contender, leaving Buddha in the dust. He holds a meager 5%. From that perspective, the promise, I will make your name great, seems like a huge understatement, and the promise that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you seems like a reasonable proposition. But think about this prophecy from the perspective of Abraham. Imagine you are Avram, living in Haran with your wife, Sarai. How likely does this prophecy sound? I'm going to be world famous, father of a great nation, and a blessing to the whole world. Not very likely. Think about this prophecy from the perspective of Moses, the author of the Torah. What are the chances that anyone outside of your own Hebrew tribes are ever going to know the name Abraham, or observe his religious innovations. 
You have to understand that Israel was a tiny, insignificant people group living in the Middle East, not unlike any other people group living in the Middle East. Why would we today, 4,000 years later, halfway around the world, know about them at all? Why would we know the name Abraham at all? Without consulting the Bible, who among us can, can name even one of the forefathers of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, or the Jebusites? Which of their gods, if you even know the names of their gods, made prophecies that have been fulfilled on a global scale and still endure 4,000 years later? Yet the ancient Hebrews believed this. They believed that their forefather Abraham was one day going to be famous and that one day the whole world would know his name and bless themselves in his name. If it had not come to pass, it could be dismissed as the provincial ethnocentrism of a primitive tribal people with delusions of grandeur. But it has come to pass. And how has it come to pass? Several years ago, I did a class titled 26 Answers to 26 Reasons, based on the popular anti-missionary text, 26 Reasons Why Jews Don't Believe in Jesus. The audio from that class is still online on the Beth Emanuel website. The class consisted of assessing each of the anti-missionary objections presented by the author and answering them. Ever since doing that class, I've wanted to do a follow-up class, or better yet, write a follow-up book titled 26 Reasons I Believe in Jesus. I've made the list. And the fulfillment of this prophecy about Abraham is reason number one on that list. Why is Abraham's name great? How is it that more than half the population of planet Earth consider him to be our source of blessing and our spiritual father? It is only because of Yeshua of Nazareth, who is called the seed of Abraham. Only because of Yeshua faith. You might think that Muhammad should get some credit, but that's not the case. Islam is a daughter of Christianity. If you doubt that, read what the Quran says about Yeshua. It's a daughter religion. Therefore, that means that the only reason that Abraham's name is world famous, the only reason that this prophecy has been literally fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled up to our day is because of Yeshua of Nazareth. This is one of the reasons, perhaps the most obvious reason, to believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah. No other Jew, no other child of Abraham in all of history has made Abraham's name great or become a blessing to the whole world. Yeshua of Nazareth is the answer to this prophecy. It's because of Yeshua that Abraham's name has been made great. If not for Yeshua, his name would be Abrahu instead of Abraham to everyone except the Jewish people. It's because of Yeshua that all nations find blessing in the faith of Abraham, namely in the God of Abraham. If not for Yeshua, the God of Abraham would be unknown to humanity outside of the tiny population of the Jewish people in the world. If he is not the Messiah and the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, then how do you explain this? If this is not complete proof that he is who he says he is, the Messiah of Israel, 
it is surely strong evidence. In the days of the apostles, there was no way that the apostles or the writers of the New Testament could have known about this. They did not have the advantage of looking at how the world has turned to Yeshua like we, like we do. They declared him the Messiah on the basis of what they had seen and what they had heard, but they did not have the advantage of being able to look at it from 2,000 years later and see how Yeshua of Nazareth has made the name of Abraham famous through the whole earth. In that regard, it was more of a leap of faith for them to believe than it is for us. For us, it should be a no-brainer. Seriously, if you believe the Torah and the prophets, which unless you are born Jewish in a religious family, you probably only know about in the first place because of Yeshua. If you believe the Torah and the prophets, this should not even be a question. The question should not be, is Yeshua the Messiah? The question should be, what are we going to do about it? Not only did God promise to make Abraham's name great, and that all nations will bless themselves in him. He also promised to make him a great nation. This refers to the nation of Israel. He is the father of Israel, the father of the Jewish people, who are called Goy Gadol, a great nation. And the Jewish people are a great nation. Today, there are nearly 15 million Jewish people in the world, which sounds like a lot. But in a global population of nearly 8 billion human beings, it comes out to about 0.2% of the whole. Still pretty big as far as people groups go, but consider that nearly 20% of the world is Chinese, which seems like it implies that 2 out of every 10 people you know are probably Chinese. Without a doubt, the Jewish people are the great nation, as God predicted. But there is an aspect of the prophecy's fulfillment which eclipses the number of Jewish people by orders of magnitude, and that is the kingdom of heaven, the great nation of many nations, the commonwealth of Israel, uncountable as the stars, innumerable as the sand. In Genesis 12, God says to Avram, I will make you a great nation. Later, in the Parsha, God says to Avram, No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis 17.5 The Midrash Rabbah points out that God did not say, I will give you a great nation, nor did he say, I will establish you as a great nation. Rather, I will make you a great nation. The Midrash Rabbah suggests that God's choice of words was meant to convey that Avram would become a great nation only after he was remade by God. It's as if God said to Avram, I will make you a great nation only after I have created you as a new creation. Then you will be fruitful and multiply. Genesis Rabbah 30.11 This alludes to a spiritual rebirth. Avram became a new creation. According to Paul, Abraham received the blessings of the covenant on the merit of his faith, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 21 and 22. Faith in God is the spark that sets the soul ablaze, that wakens it from its slumber. 
The new creation is a spiritual awakening, one that every human being on earth has the potential to achieve and receive. Moreover, on the merit of his faith, Avram was remade into Avraham, Abraham, the father of many nations. Abraham is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Romans 4, 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul considered the story of Avram's transformation into Avraham as the prototype of personal salvation by faith. The faith of Abraham is believing in God and in his promises. Paul considered it to be a model of faith, a model for the faith of the Gentile believers and Jewish people both. Paul teaches that by virtue of that same faith, which recreated Avram into Avraham, a father of many nations, the Gentiles were also recreated as new creations, Galatians 6.15. Just as Avram, by faith, became Avraham, a new spiritual creation, so too Gentiles by faith become new creations in Messiah. The Gentiles who are thus recreated by God are made into sons of Abraham. So then, Avraham is the father of all who believe, Paul writes in Romans 4.11. The transformation of the believing Gentiles into sons of Abraham fulfills the new creation name of Abraham, father of many nations, that is, father of many Gentiles. Through faith in the God of Abraham, Gentiles from many nations are remade into sons of Abraham. Through proliferation of these Gentile believers, Abraham has become a great nation, fulfilling the words of the oracle. He is the father of many nations. So once again, we should ask, how has this come about? How has it come to pass? Even in the days of the apostles, it was in no way obvious that these prophecies would be fulfilled through the name of Yeshua. The sect of Yeshua followers, particularly Gentile Yeshua followers, was small and insignificant, a few crazy radicals in the Roman Empire, a drop in the bucket. But the apostles believed that if Yeshua is the Messiah, he will one day bring the whole world into the faith of Abraham. For them, that was a leap of faith, based only upon their confidence that Yeshua is the Messiah. They did not have the advantage we have today of seeing, seeing the demographics and, and how, through the name of Yeshua, Abraham has become a great nation and the father of a multitude of nations. All of this has happened only through Yeshua of Nazareth. So once again, once again, we're left asking, if he's not the Messiah and the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, then how do you explain this? If this is not complete proof that he is who he says he is, the Messiah of Israel, once again, it is surely strong evidence. The prophecy says, and you will be a blessing. The Midrash points out that the Hebrew word for blessing, bracha, looks identical and sounds similar to the Hebrew word for pool, brecha. And 
And so this invited the sages to indulge in some wordplay. Regarding the clause, and you will be a blessing, the Midrash intentionally mistranslates it. You will be an immersion pool, brecha, just as a pool purifies the unclean. In the same way, you bring near to me those who are far away. Genesis, Genesis Rabbah 29.11 Because the word for blessing and the word for pool of water are very similar in Hebrew, the Midrash Rabbah played off the similar sounding words to construe a new meaning for Abraham's blessing. And according to the new meaning, Abraham is to be like a mikvah pool, a baptismal pool, which Gentile converts immerse themselves in as part of the ritual conversion to become Jewish. Converts to Judaism pass through a baptism in a pool of living water. And this immersion into a baptism pool is the final stage of the ritual conversion. So Gentiles who pass through the immersion pool are symbolically reborn, born again as Jews. Now, according to this interpretation of what it means that Abraham will be a blessing, Abraham's role is to bring near to God the Gentiles who were formerly far away. By performing this role of bringing the Gentiles near to God, Abraham will be a blessing to the Gentiles. As the heathen nations embrace the faith of Abraham, they are symbolically immersed into Abraham as if he was, he was an immersion pool suitable for the conversion ritual. That's the idea. This, this Midrashic rereading, wherein Abraham is likened to an immersion pool for conversion, makes even more sense from an apostolic perspective, because the apostles used the same symbolism when they spoke of the Messiah. Paul's Gentile converts were said to be immersed into Messiah Yeshua. How do you immerse into someone? Immersed into Messiah Yeshua. Well, how do you immerse into Abraham? Gentiles who were formerly far away and strangers to the covenants were brought near to God, as it says in Ephesians. Remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Messiah. It's through Yeshua and through the name of Yeshua and immersion into his name that the nations have immersed themselves into Abraham and into the faith of Abraham and into the blessings of Abraham. It is Yeshua of Nazareth who has made Abraham into a blessing and transformed him into an immersion pool, which brings the Gentiles formerly far away near. So if he is not the Messiah and the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, then how do we explain this? In the eyes of the sages, Abraham was to be a blessing to all nations by converting them to faith in God. In support of this view, the traditional sources raise yet another nuance of meaning in the oracle of Genesis 12, the oracle God gave to Abraham. The, promise, the promises conclude, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A more literal translation is, and in you all the families of the earth will bless themselves. The Hebrew verb, venivrahu, translated as will bless themselves, is related to a Mishnaic Hebrew term, mavrik, which means to intermingle, to graft. Thus, one might translate the verse as all the peoples on earth will be grafted into you. 
The context of the passage makes this alternative reading, of course, impossible. Clearly, the Torah intends us to read all the peoples will be blessed through, blessed through you. It has nothing to do with grafting of plants. Uh, it's, it's a passage about blessing and being blessed. So a responsible translator would never translate the verse to read, all the peoples on earth will be grafted into you. But the sages, you know, they're not accused of being responsible translators. So in the Talmud, we read the following. Rabbi Elazar expounded, What is meant by the verse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you? The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Abraham, I have two goodly shoots to engraft on you. Ruth the Moabitess and Naamah the Ammonitess. All the families of the earth, even the other families who live on the earth, are blessed only for Israel's sake. All the nations of the earth, even the ships that go from Gaul to Spain, are blessed only for Israel's sake. Yavamot 63a. So Rabbi Elazar uses the passage to explain how two Gentile women came to be regarded as part of Israel and even mothers of the Davidic kings. Ruth was a Moabite, Naamah an Ammonite. Regarding the Moabites and the Ammonites, the Torah specifically says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the 10th generation. How then could Ruth and Naamah be mothers of the kings of Israel? They have been grafted into Abraham through conversion. Abraham was actively involved in missionizing the pagan world. In his efforts to turn the world to faith in God, Abraham could be likened unto a tree of faith. As people left the pagan religious systems and idolatry of the world, they are likened to branches removed from trees of other faiths. They are cut off from those trees and grafted into the tree of Abraham's faith. As the peoples of the world turn to faith in the God of Abraham, they are, in a metaphorical sense, engrafted into Abraham. This engrafting process is a blessing to the peoples of the earth, for only in Abraham's faith can they find truth and revelation. Thus, we could read Genesis 12.3, All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, as all the peoples on earth will be grafted into you. And this explains the meaning of Paul's language in Romans 11, where he says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Romans eleven sixteen through 18. He didn't invent this idea that all peoples on earth will be grafted into you. He got it from Genesis 12, 3. Paul equated that very line of Hebrew text, Genesis 12, 3, with the message of the gospel. Because in Galatians, he quotes Genesis 12, 3, saying, The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. To Paul, the phrase, all nations will be blessed through you, is the good news of the kingdom that was made known to Abraham. In his estimation, those very words are the good news of Messiah. Only in Yeshua can it be said that all families of the earth are being grafted into Abraham's family, into Abraham's faith. If Yeshua is not the Messiah, 
and the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, then how do we explain this? In the Midrash, Abraham is always depicted as busy making proselytes from the nations. His goal in life was to spread the knowledge of God and to bring all men to a faith in, faith in the one God. And the sages derive this idea about Abraham from the next passage in the Torah, where it says in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 4, So Avram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Avram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the souls that they had made in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. The souls which they had made? The English Standard Version smooths out the Hebrew by translating the word souls as people, and the word made as acquired. The sages, however, read the passage literally. And they objected that Abraham and Sarah were not able to make souls. What then does the Torah mean by telling us they made souls in Haran? The sages explained that it refers to converts, proselytes, proselytes that they made as they drew people to faith in God. It refers rather to the proselytes they had made. The verse, as it is written, is to teach you that he who brings a Gentile near to God and converts him is as though he had created him. Torah to Mima. In other words, prior to their encounter with Abraham and Sarah and their faith in God, the people had a spiritual deficiency. It was as if they did not have a soul, as if they were merely physical beings without a spiritual being. Of course, that's not the case. As Levertov explains, the spirit remains in a state of slumber until it's quickened. The mystics explain that there are five levels to the soul, the lowest level being the animal soul, but the higher levels of the soul exist only in potential until one ascends to them. When a person is brought to faith in God and his or her, his or her eyes are open to the reality that there is a God, that Hashem knows you and loves you, and that relationship with Him is possible and that He desires you, then the soul is quickened and the spirit is ignited. Until then, it's as if the spirit sleeps in a coma, unaware, numbed by the material world in the illusion of God's concealment. Abraham and Sarah shattered that illusion by introducing, introducing people to God, quickening their souls, and bringing them to spiritual life. In this way, it could be said that they, they made souls. Jewish tradition paints Abraham and Sarah as missionaries for God, actively engaged in the pursuit of the Gentiles. That's how Abraham was fulfilling his role as a blessing to all nations. By converting the Gentiles to faith in God, Abraham was being a blessing and all peoples were blessed through him. If this was true of the few people that Abraham and Sarah encountered in their lifetimes, how much more so is it true of Yeshua of Nazareth? Testimony about Yeshua has gone out to the world, out to all nations, and spanned nearly 2,000 years of history. Through the good news of the gospel, countless people have been introduced to faith in the God of Abraham 
And as a result, their souls have been quickened, the eyes of their hearts opened, their ears opened, their spirits quickened. They have received the Spirit of God, undergone spiritual rebirth and transformation. If Abraham and Sarah made souls, how much more so Yeshua of Nazareth? Yeshua says, if you are sons of Abraham, do the things that Abraham did. In this way, he proves himself to be the son of Abraham, the maker of souls. I hope that you know Yeshua and know him to be the Messiah, the one who quickens your spirit and makes your soul. Yeshua alone is the one who makes Abraham the father of many nations. He alone is the one who has made Abraham's name great. He alone is the new creation who creates and makes new creatures through faith, born again in a new creation. He is the immersion pool into which we are baptized, baptized into Abraham and brought near to God. He is the one who grafts the wild olive branches into the olive tree of Abraham's family. He is the one who spiritually quickens us, makes it possible for us to be more than just animals by waking up the slumbering spiritual potential within us, igniting our spirits, breathing life of faith into us. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. We are the souls he made in Haran. Take on my yoke And learn from me And find rest for your soul